So more details to come on that, but want to give you a little promo that that's ahead for us. To sort of learn as a group, as a community, um, how we can do life together really intentionally. So Shelly, thank you so much. Thanks. Well, that's great. It's great just to hear notes from the field of what's working, what's not, and hearing just different perspectives. So thank you for that, Shelley and Lindsay. Before we get to this morning's scripture text, um, two items of church family news. John Porritt, uh, older member of our church, died on the 10th of January. His service is to be March 11th at Fraser Meadows. So take note of that on March 11th for John Porritt. And then Roy Wyman, some of you may remember Roy was married to Flip. Flip died many years ago and Roy just passed away on the 24th of January. His service is to be arranged, so stay tuned for that. Well, uh, thank you for being here, thank you for being online. Today we're shifting from Old Testament passages to New Testament passages in our study on the Sabbath called Made for Us. And so today we're in the Gospels. So let me invite you to our text. It's from Mark chapter two. I like to call Mark's gospel the lickety split gospel. Uh, it's a gospel that moves along very quickly, primarily because Mark likes a good story just like we do. And Mark tells good stories about Jesus full of detail. And Mark's favorite word in his gospel is the word immediately. Uh, we won't see that word today. But anyway, Mark's gospel is a, is a great gospel. It's shorter, it's quick. I recommend it, but we're picking it up in chapter two. Um, one of the first controversies concerning the Sabbath in the ministry of Jesus, here it goes. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, for humankind, not humankind for the Sabbath. So the son of man is Lord even of the Sabbath. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Uh, Lord, thank you that you are present to us and that you are here uh, attending to your word. Please now by your Holy Spirit, energize it and make it accessible to us and practical. In your name we pray, amen. On behalf of our preaching team who've been preaching in this series on the Sabbath, I'd like to ask you, I wish I could ask every one of you, how's it going? How's it going when you hear these messages on the Sabbath? What's it like for you? We'd really love to know. Uh, we hear that it's going great for some, and, but maybe it's not going great for others. Maybe some of you are struggling. Maybe this is not something you're interested in, or maybe it's something that you feel burdened by. So I wonder how it's going for you. You know, the thing we as preachers want to do is we want to lighten your load. We want to uh, decrease the burden that you're having to carry. And so if you're coming to this sermon series of Sabbath and you're feeling loaded down and it's feeling burdensome, that's not what we intend. We want to lighten your load. 
The last thing we want is to have you dabble in legalism. Do you know what legalism is? Legalism is this. Let's take a look. Legalism is when we try to get right and stay right with God through religious rule-keeping. Do you do that? It's tempting for us. God's people have done this through the millennia. That we, we have the word of God, we have the, the Ten Commandments, for example, and we feel like we just need to work hard to stay in good graces with God and that God's somehow keeping score. And we become legalists. And there is no joy and there's no freedom in that. And the irony of ironies is that if you're a legalist and you're working hard on this commandment, you're having to work harder to get your rest. And that is not what we want. You're working harder to find your rest. And if that's the spirit of your Sabbath, then let me invite you to make a course correction. Let's go back into Jesus' day and think about what Sabbath keeping was like for him and for the Jews of his day. You know, Sabbath keeping defined the Jews. It did then and it does today. Three things define Jews, typically. Keeping the Sabbath, for the men being circumcised, and then keeping kosher. These are the marks that set apart the people of God as Jews. And the Sabbath, as you now know, was the fourth of Ten Commandments, and it was actually the one that was most expanded upon. It's the longest commandment of all ten. So obviously it has very important place for the Jewish people and for God. So much so that the prophets warned the Israelites and the Jews later to keep the Sabbath and there would be dire consequences if they didn't. Did you know in the Old Testament, breaking the Sabbath is a capital offense? You could be stoned to death. I don't think there are much record of that, but you could be stoned to death if you didn't keep the Sabbath. That's how serious it was. In fact, the prophets warned that if you break God's Sabbath, God is going to take you out of the land. And sure enough, in the 6th century BC, the Babylonians came in and took away the, the law-breaking Israelites, or the Jewish people, off into captivity. So when we get to the time of Jesus, the Pharisees, the dominant party in Judaism in Jesus' day, the Pharisees were so earnest to keep the Sabbath and have the Jewish people keep it, that they did something called fencing the Torah. Fencing the Torah, it's where you take a particular command and because you don't want your followers to break it, you push the command and its implications further out. And so if you, uh, you, you try to create a whole bunch of more rules and regulations to protect breaking that command. It's called fencing the Torah, the law of God. And so the Pharisees were doing this. How do we know this exactly? Well, certainly from our gospel passage, but we also have another document that is fascinating. Um, it's called the Mishnah. The Mishnah is a gathering of rabbinic teachings from about 200 AD. And these were the dominant teachings of Jesus' day that were codified in this document, series of documents called the Mishnah. And in the Mishnah, the chapter seven is called Mishnah Shabbat. And there it lists 39 things that you were not allowed to do as a Jew on the day of Sabbath. I'll just give you a couple. Sowing, plowing, reaping, binding, threshing, winnowing. Sounds a lot like disciples going through the grain fields, right? Sifting, kneading, baking. And then it gets even more interesting, making two loops if you're knitting. Two loops, not one, two. Weaving two threads. Tying, untying. Even the, the tailor couldn't carry the needle in his pocket because that was work. 
And then you couldn't write two or more letters in succession. That was work. Or erase two letters. You get the picture? As commentator William Barclay says, he says, the Sabbath was hedged around with literally thousands of petty rules and regulations. Folks, this was the burden, the burden put on the shoulders of the people of Jesus' day. And so we come to our Mark 2 text, the gospel reading for the day. And Jesus is engaged in one of several Sabbath controversies. And the Pharisees say, your disciples are breaking the rules. They're going through the grain fields, they're plucking grain, that's like threshing or reaping, and that is not okay. And Jesus tells the story of King David. When David was on the run, escaping the persecution of King Saul, and he and his men were uh, looking for food and they were getting hungry, they were starving. And so they went into the house of God and they saw the 12 loaves of the showbread laid out as a sacrifice for God. And those were loaves that the priests would lay out, offer to God, and then the priests alone could eat them. And David and his men come in and they eat the warm bread because they're starving. And Jesus points to that and he essentially says, human need, human crisis and extremity trumps religious ritual. Jesus saw it that way. And Jesus then said this, the the money verse, if you will, of today's text. He then says to the Pharisees, these uh, elite rule keepers, the Sabbath was made for humankind, not humankind for the Sabbath. In other words, you guys have it backwards. You are meant to experience God's rest and joy and freedom, and you've turned it into legalistic obedience. And then this amazing statement attached to it. So the son of man, that's Jesus' favorite self-reference. So the son of man, I, Jesus says, am Lord even of the Sabbath. That's a bombshell because he's implying that he has divine authority to reaffirm and reinterpret the Sabbath. The Sabbath is God's good gift and we mustn't lose sight of it. And this parallel goes deeper, goes even deeper In this very famous set of verses we had at the beginning of our service, let's look at it again, Matthew 11, 28 to 30. You know, so often we we read the Bible and think, oh, this is just for me today. And, And in some ways it is, but it was first for the people of Jesus' day. And here's his audience. These are the Jews who are burdened, heavily burdened by all the rules and religious rule keeping asked of them. And Jesus wants to lift the burden with them, like we told the kids this morning. So he says to these people, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. What is he talking about? By keeping the oral traditions of the Ten Commandments and others. You are weary and burdened. Come to me, and I will give you rest. In Greek, that is the word for pause. I'll give you a pause. Take my yoke. That's a symbol for Torah. Take my Torah teaching, the way I interpret Torah, the law of God, upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, not like these religious extremists. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke, my Torah teaching is easy and my burden, my interpretation of Torah, for burden is another symbol of Torah, is light. What a gift. Jews then and Jews today have counted up all the written commands in the Bible, and there are 613. 
613 commandments that observant Jews even today are seeking to keep. 613. But on top of that, there are literally thousands upon thousands of oral commandments that are part of the tradition of the rabbis that have been heaped upon that. So can you see why people felt burdened? They're feeling burdened because they're being weighed down with law keeping that they can't possibly keep. They can't do it. And so Jesus issues this invitation. And I want to share with you the version of Eugene Peterson of these verses and go over it with you. I love this. I've memorized it. I encourage you to consider memorizing it. Same passage, Matthew 11, 28 to 30. Eugene Peterson paraphrased the message. Jesus says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? That may describe some of us watching online or here today. What does Jesus say? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Don't you love that? I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Isn't that great? Wow, that's what Jesus is offering around the Sabbath, around all the commands of God. Several years ago, when I was spiritual formation pastor here, we would have what we called SF&D, Spiritual Formation Discipleship Weekends. Do anybody remember those? I'm glad a few do. <laughs> um, but we had John Coe here. John Coe, who's uh, still at Biola University and Talbot School of Theology. John, we'd studied his uh, audio lessons as a class in the evening. And then we had John Coe out to be our teacher for the weekend. And recently, I've gone back to John's essay, and this is its title, and I think it's so apropos. It's called Resisting the Temptation of Moral Formation, Opening to the Spiritual Formation in the Cross and the Spirit. What does he mean? Well, here's what he means. Resisting the Temptation of Moral Formation. Coe calls the tendency we have in us to work really hard to keep God's commandments with all that pressure on ourselves, Coe calls that moralism. And moralists are people who, when they hear the word of God preached, and the preacher says, you need to do X, Y, and Z, they say, you're right, I need to do X, Y, and Z, and I better write that down, I better get after it, I better work harder, that's what I need to do. Moralism is all about my hard effort in my own strength to try to keep the word of God. And Coe says, don't do it. Resist this temptation for moral formation because you're trying to do it in your own strength and not in the strength of God. Instead, open to spiritual formation. That is that the spirit inspires, the Holy Spirit. And it's done in two ways, the cross and the spirit. We'll get to that in a minute. Well, how do you know if you're a moralist? How do I know if I'm a moralist? Let me tell you a story. In Genesis chapter three, Adam and Eve uh, have been told not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And as you well know, they did. And when they did, their eyes were opened and they felt shame. They felt shame at having violated God's command. 
And what was the first thing they did? Do you remember? They covered themselves. They covered themselves with fig leaves because they wanted their shame, in this case their, their nakedness, to be covered. And then they did a second thing. When they heard God come into the garden, they hid from God. So they covered their shame and they hid. And Coe very wisely says, this is what the moralist does. This is what we do when we're faced with our shortcomings and sin. We do two things, two signs that we're a moralist. Two signs that we're a moralist. Number one, covering. And that's when we try to do better in our own strength, to cover our shame, to work harder so, so we don't have to look at our shame and shortcomings and so no one else does. So we cover by trying harder. Are you with me? We work harder so that we'll feel better about ourselves and not look at the painful feelings of shame that are deep within us. And then secondly, we'll hide because we, we're, we're aware that there's some shortcoming and failure in our lives, some sin, and we don't want to look at it. And so we keep busy or we don't go to church and we don't be, or be around God's people because it's too much a reminder of where we're falling short and we hide. We cover and we hide. And these are signs that we're moralists. And friends, I want to tell you, if you are a moralist, and believe me, a lot of my life I've been exactly that, a Christian moralist, working hard, working earnestly and anxiously to be a better Christian. If you are like me, I want to urge you today, don't go there. Learn a different way. Because moralism is fruitless. Moralism leads to frustration and a constant sense of failure. That's not what God wants for us. He doesn't want to shake a finger and tell us just to be a better good boy or a better good girl. No, that's not it. The Bible has a better way, and this is what Co tells us, a better way. The Bible's better way is twofold. Co says this in his article. Live in light of Christ's cross and then live in the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's unpack that. When you became a Christian, I am willing to bet that the cross loomed large for you, the cross of Jesus Christ. You said in a one form or another, I want Jesus what you offer in the cross. I want your free and full forgiveness. I want your shed blood to cover my sins. I want to follow you, Jesus. And so the cross loomed large for you. The trouble is, once that begins your Christian journey, it's easy to forget the cross. It's easy to run off and be a good Christian boy or a good Christian girl and be a moralist. Coe says, live in light of the cross every day. And when you feel like you've failed, you've dropped the ball, you've let God down, you've lived in a way you're ashamed of, don't beat yourself up. Go to the cross and just say, thank you, Lord. You died for me then, you died for me now. I'm going to live in light of your cross. And then let that release you from the burden of shame and guilt. And then live in the power of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is the energizing principle of the Christian life. We are not meant to run on our own strength as Christians. No, the Holy Spirit, when we become Christians, inhabits us in a miraculous way and becomes a power source for living our lives. And so we're to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. And folks, this is hard for Presbyterians. We tend to be people of the mind. We want a three-ring notebook that will tell us how to do it. 
But the Holy Spirit is the way to live the, the life God intends. And our charismatic brothers and sisters, they get this. We as Presbyterians, we need to learn more of it. We need to experience more of it. We need to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. Live in light of the cross and live in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the better way. So don't try to be good in your own strength. Can you believe you're hearing this in church? Don't try to be good in your own strength. It will lead you to failure and frustration. Instead, follow this better way. We need to do what the 12-step groups have said all along. You know 12-step recovery movement was founded by Christians, right? So what's that first step? That first step, we admitted that we were powerless over alcohol, drugs, addictive behaviors. How about the rule of self? How about self-reliance? We admitted we were powerless over our self-reliance and we came to God instead. I think this is particularly hard in a place like Boulder, Colorado, don't you? Because Boulder, Colorado is filled with highly educated people, highly successful professionals, highly motivated, disciplined folk. You see it in athletics, you see it in the professions, you see it in entrepreneurship, etc. To come to Jesus and admit, I can't do it. That's a hard thing for anybody, but particularly in Boulder. And yet Jesus issues that invitation. We have been singing about it in the service today. Come to me. Come to me. Are you willing to do that? To come to Jesus in this new way, deeper way. Jesus in Matthew's gospel says, come to me. Get away with me. Walk with me. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Keep company with me. That will change your life, your spiritual life, every aspect of your life. Let's not be moralists. Let's turn to Jesus freshly. Will you pray with me? Oh Lord, we thank you for your kind and gracious words. We thank you that you have closed the gap between us and God. We thank you that you are the power source through your Holy Spirit to help us live different lives. And so I pray for my brothers and sisters, whether at home right now, watching online or here in the sanctuary, I pray that they and I myself would be open to this new idea of letting you in. And so we thank you that you're present to us. We pray in your name. Amen.